Christ, as we read this chapter together, as we come to that very last line, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This, this is heavy, heavy language in this chapter. And it's, it's not just that last line either. It began at the beginning. Look at verse 2. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Look at verse 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan. Look at verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven. Look at verse 11. I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So many, so many, so much language which is exclusionary. It's hard to read. It's painful. And it's hard to read. It's painful in the abstract when we think about it in abstract terms. But how much harder is it not when it deals with someone who is a loved one, a husband, a father, a brother, a friend? It's hard. And then we look at ourselves and we think, well, Lord, we're all sinners. Who here is perfect? Don't we all struggle? Who are we to judge? Brothers and sisters, this morning the Lord brings us the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in this hard chapter as he comforts us and consoles us with the gospel at this painful moment in the life of this congregation. Let's look at this chapter together. Remember, Corinth, we've been looking at a few different chapters in this letter. You remember that Corinth was a a place which was full of special gifts of the Holy Spirit, those temporary gifts from the apostolic age. And, and they were, they knew it. They knew that they were full of special gifts. They were feeling super spiritual. They were full of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, over and over in this letter and also in this chapter, he says, what is your problem? There you are, the super spiritual and at the same time, you're tolerating sin, which is so vile that even the unbelievers blush. Even the unbelievers are shocked. And without going into all the details, what is most likely happening here is that there is a man living with a woman who was his stepmother. And he's living with her as if she is his wife. Even the unbelievers, the Romans thought that that was disgusting. It was wrong. And so, so this, this, is the, this is the important bit here. Yes, we're all sinners, but this man wasn't just one more sinner that's struggling with daily sin. He's not falling into a sin. He's not struggling with sin. He's not fighting sin. But here we have a brazen, shameless, wallowing in sin. And what Paul's point is, in this chapter is this, if you, if you love Christ, you have no fellowship with sin. And if you love sin, you have no fellowship with Christ. It's one or the other. The Bible over and over again teaches us how dangerously destructive sin is. It's like gangrene when your body starts to rot. What does the doctor do? The doctor chops off that rotting part of your body, otherwise it will spread and kill the whole of you. It's like cancer. What does a doctor do? doctor doesn't just look the other way and cover it up with some band-aids, but 
Cancer needs to be killed before it kills you. We destroy it or it will destroy us. And says John Owen, I believe, once said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. One or the other will be destroyed. And so in the body of Christ, someone enslaved to sin who does not repent must be removed. This is not done by one person. You see how Paul, uh, he invokes his apostolic authority, but he respects the leadership of the local congregation. It uh, It is the pastors of the local congregation, together with the congregation, the assembly, Together, they are involved in the setting outside of communion of the person who lives impenitent, unrepentant in sin. There's this whole process that goes on. Look at verse 5. Paul explains how it must be done. The assembled congregation with the leadership must, in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver this man to Satan. What a strange phrase that is. What does that mean? Sounds scary. Deliver to Satan. Such a dark thing to say. What it means, brothers and sisters, is simply to deliver that person back into the world. Outside of Christ, outside the body of Christ, outside the kingdom of Christ, back into the world, back into the kingdom of darkness. The Bible describes conversion as God taking dead sinners and making them alive and translating them, transferring them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the son of his love. And when someone is excluded because of living in sin without repentance, they're basically put back into the world. This isn't making a new reality. This is simply acknowledging what is already reality. The sinner has chosen his reality. He has chosen to live apart from Christ. He has chosen to live in fellowship with sin and the kingdom of darkness, and the church is simply recognizing that reality. So Paul says that's what you need to do. Deliver that person back outside of the fellowship of the church into the kingdom of this present fallen world where where the Satan has preeminence. And then he says, for the destruction of the flesh. Now, he doesn't say the destruction of the body. He's not talking about seeking the the sickness or the death of the person who is being disciplined, but it's the destruction of the flesh. And the word flesh here is the word the scriptures use to describe that fallen old us, that old nature, that part of us which needs to die so that the new us in Christ comes more and more alive. In the case of someone who is living in sin without repentance, they're under the dominion of that old nature. And so the purpose of church discipline is to put that person outside of the fellowship so that that fleshly nature, that sinful nature, that sinful self would die. And you think of the, that parable of the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son He thought it was great to be in the world, to turn his back on the father, to be far from the home where he belonged and the family where he was to be a part. And he gave himself over to all of the the pleasures, so-called pleasures of the flesh. 
And it wasn't until he came to the very, very bottom when he had lost everything. There was nothing left. And he was sitting there feeding the pigs and wishing he could eat some of the pig feed that he came to himself. He finally woke up. He said, what am I doing? I've got a father who loves me. I've got a home where I belong. I have everything I need. I have love and joy and every promise. I have a great place to be. And here I am amongst the pigs far away from all of those good things. And, and he comes to himself. He wakes up. And that's what church discipline hopes to see. It is that ultimate remedy. It is that last act of the church, an act of love delivering the impenitent sinner to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that all of the things which look so nice in the world, all of the things which look so wonderful, all of the things which the sinner thinks give pleasure, that the, the sinner would come to realize, that he would come to himself and come to realize that this way of living is simply a foretaste of eternal hell. And that he would stand up and run back to the Father, who is standing there waiting with his arms wide open, ready to run and to embrace his child. And so excommunication, brothers and sisters, is an extreme remedy. It's a painful remedy. It's like chemotherapy. You've got cancer. The doctors say, okay, take this chemotherapy, a sentence of death, indiscriminately killing cancer cells and healthy cells. They bring you to the point of death itself and the hope that the cancer dies and that the patient can be restored to life. And there is no doctor who prescribes chemotherapy because he hates his patient. On the contrary, it's an act of love. It's an act of life, even though it is extreme, an extreme remedy, a painful remedy, a dangerous remedy. And so Paul continues in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Basically, he's saying to the Corinthian church, as he often does in this letter, what is your problem? You have this cancer of sin in the body, and you're fine with it. You're not dealing with it. Don't you understand how sin works? And then he makes a reference to leaven, and leaven is kind of like yeast, and if you have a little bit of leaven in a whole lump, then it's going to work its way through the lump of dough. It's not just going to stay where it is. And so in verses 6 through to 8, Paul reminds his readers of the example of the Passover. The Passover when Israel left Egypt many years before and, and when they were spared from God's righteous judgment on sin because that lamb died, and under the cover of its blood painted on the doorposts, God's people were safe from God's judgment. The angel of the Lord passed over the houses that were covered by that shed blood of the lamb. And that lamb was saying, as all lambs in the Old Testament sacrifices say, that lamb was saying, there is someone who will take your guilt, who will take your punishment, who will die in your place, and that lamb, we know who it is. We know who fulfills all of those prophecies and the ancient sacrifices. It is Christ. Look at verse 7. Our Passover lamb 
He has been sacrificed once for all. Now, back in the Old Testament, when they celebrated the Passover, in fact, the Jews still do it today, around the time of Passover, they will go through their houses and make sure there is no leavened bread. There is no bread which has yeast in it. They will, they will go all through the house and make sure there's nothing whatsoever. Because in the Old Testament, if you, during the time of Passover, ate leavened bread, you would be excommunicated. You'd be set outside of the people of God. So they made sure there was no leavened bread because leaven is a picture of sin. You tolerate a little bit, it will keep growing till it has affected all of the dough. And to use a picture which maybe is a little bit closer to our experience and our reality, think of a basket full of apples and there's one apple in there which is rotten and we know exactly what's gonna happen if we leave that rotten apple in the basket, it will spread, the rot will spread. We gotta deal with it, we gotta get rid of the rot. And so the church cannot celebrate that Christ died to save sinners, that Christ came to set us free from all the dominion of the devil, and at the same time allow members to live in unrepentant sin, because that is a denial of the gospel. Imagine the church doing that, church preaching the gospel, that Jesus died for sinners, that Jesus frees us and delivers us from all the power of Satan and of sin, and then the church tolerating in her assembly, in her fellowship, people who are clearly slaves to sin. What is the church saying? The church is giving the world an opportunity to say, look at that weak church, that weak gospel, that weak savior, what a weak Jesus he is because he can't set people free from sin. What an unholy savior he is because he has fellowship with malice and with evil. And that is blasphemy for the church to maintain in communion with herself people who are unrepentant, who live in sin, is an act of hatred against the sinner, hatred against the church, and an act of blasphemy against God which is why we confess that faithful biblical church discipline is a mark of the true church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Old Testament, Israel would get rid of all the leaven. And Paul says, do that. Cleanse out the old leaven. Is that what you've done today? Is that what you're doing? Is that what I'm doing? Is that what we're doing together as a congregation? As we celebrate the, the supper, this is the New Testament Passover. Have we cleansed out the old leaven? This is not a time to think about others. It's a time to think about myself. What besetting sins am I tolerating in my life? Do I come to the table of the Lord with all these foul, unconfessed, unrepented of sins that maybe nobody knows about except God, and sometimes we're so used to them that we kind of forget about them ourselves. And are we quite okay with that? Is it fine? Because God forgives, so I'll just keep on living in my sins. That's a question for us as individuals. It's a question for us as church as well, brothers and sisters. You know, there are some sins which are really clear, kind of stick out. They're scandalous sins. You know, there are a lot of so-called acceptable sins as well that we don't get so wound up about. 
We just kind of tolerate them because we think, well, no one's perfect. So we tolerate in the body of Christ sins which are displeasing to God. Just look at that list there in verse 10. Sexually immoral, and think of how much immorality is flowing through the internet onto our screens. Look at that word greedy there. Greedy. You know, I think probably all of us would say that that's a sin which we need to be fighting against. Certainly, we're far too comfortable with greed in our own hearts and lives and our fellowship. So we look to the things of the world and last after them. And Brothers and sisters, the Lord sets before us today a question. Are we cleansing out the old leaven? What do we need to do to get rid of the leaven of sin in my life and in our life as a congregation? And so then Paul moves on after that warning to the verses 9 through to the 13, and he gets very practical here because he has written another letter before 1 Corinthians. We have two letters to the Corinthians in the Scripture, but there are more letters that he's written, and he's already written one to them. And in that letter, he said, you know, you shouldn't associate with sexually immoral people. They thought, well, that means we we can't hang around with people that are outside the church because there's a lot of sexual immorality outside of the church. And Paul says, no, that's not the point. You know, if you, if you think that way, you, you can't live in the world. You have to become a little cult, a little sect. You have to be like an Anabaptist sect which goes and lives in a commune somewhere. And even then, sin will be right there with you. But, but that's, that's not the way you, you can avoid associating with sin. That's not what my point, uh, Paul says. Because we live in a world where we have neighbors and we have co-workers and we have fellow students who are slaves of sin. We go to a work meeting, and perhaps the person sitting across from us is an adulterer. They're, they're unlawfully and unbiblically divorced and living with someone who uh, is, is not their wife or their husband. And maybe we are in a meeting with someone who's in some other kind of sexual sin or perversity. We have a meeting with a client who worships false gods. And Paul says, look, we need to interact with the community around us. There's, there's no other real option except for going out of the world, which God doesn't want us to do. But Paul's point is this. this, It's one thing to interact and to work with people who are living in sin, who don't know the Lord. But that's different than having communion with them. That's different than having fellowship with them. That's different than calling them my brother, my sister. And so Paul reminds us that we cannot have fellowship with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Let me me use an example here. You know, if we're you're a climber and you're climbing out of a crevice that's very, very deep and you're, you're with someone else and, and you're, you're tied to each other for extra safety and, and you're climbing up and, and you meet people 
going down and kind of, you know, carelessly descending and, and without any way of getting back up. And, and, and they're going down towards the abyss and you're trying to get out. Then certainly you don't want to tie yourself with a rope to the people that are going down, to people that are climbing, scrambling down, to people that are jumping off. You don't want to be tied to such a person because you're going in different directions. You want to get up and out to safety and to life. They want to go down to danger and to death. And that's basically Paul's point. It, to, to have fellowship with, to have communion with, is to knit yourself together with. And you, you can't do that, not in the deepest sense. You know, you can have a, a believing wife and an unbelieving husband, and she is called to honor him, to love him, to respect him, to win him without a word. And so there is that relationship of, of marriage. But at the deepest level, it is impossible to be knit together in fellowship with someone who is going towards eternal destruction while we are going towards eternal life. That doesn't, simply doesn't work. And you, re, you, you remember that we read the excommunication form and, and that prayer of confession that we prayed, which is in the form. And how that, that prayer of confession doesn't start off by saying, Lord, you know, there's somebody who's a sinner in our midst, so we're very, very happy that you're getting rid of that person. That's not how the, the prayer begins. That's not what the prayer says at all. But the prayer began by confessing our sins. Because if you look at all those words there in verse 11, which one of those words does not describe my sin? Every one of those words describes how I need cleansing, how I need forgiveness. And so what's the difference? The, the difference is not that the excommunicated brother is a sinner and we're not, we're really good people. That's not the difference. This is the difference, that either Christ is your Lord or sin is your Lord. Either you have fellowship with Christ or you have fellowship with sin. That's the difference. And this is the gospel. The Father took all of my sins and he placed them on Jesus and he poured his righteous judgment on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus there hanging on that cross in the darkness, forsaken by God, forsaken by the Son, forsaken by creation itself, forsaken by God's people, forsaken by his own family, forsaken by his disciples, the very incarnation of sin, everything that God hates and condemns and will pour his righteous judgment upon. And in this way, God purged the evil from among us. God purged the evil person from the congregation of God and that evil person wasn't me, although it should have been. And it wasn't you, although it should have been. But it was Jesus. He became that evil person, purged from the congregation. He took our sin. He took our guilt. He took our judgment. And he gave us his innocence and his perfect righteousness and obedience and holiness. This is the call of the gospel. 
This is the call of the gospel for us. And this is the call of the gospel for our dear brother John. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the true Paschal Lamb we see, whom God so freely gave us. He died on the accursed tree, so strong his love to save us. See, his blood now marks our door. Faith points to it. Death passes over, and Satan cannot harm us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen.